you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. It's great to be back again with my church family, and I must tell you, I missed you guys. I don't know about you, but I did. I missed you. I missed you so much. My short trip was very productive, and thank you for upholding me in your prayers, and I was able to finish the task I said before me, and I'll show you a small clip at the end of the program today, a service today, just for transparency and accountability purposes. Of course, during my time away, I was reflecting on this passage because I know when I land, I need to come and preach. So I was working on that. theme became so loud and and clear to me when I saw on my travel across the island an old, beautiful cathedral building that is now being used as a theater and a museum. So sad, is it? Very sad. A place that was built to, so that God's people could gather and sing praises and hear the word being proclaimed is now being used for a far lesser purpose. So the Lord, Lord convicted me as I, as I saw that, that the saddest of all is when God's people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that's most of us who are seated here, when we fail to live for the purpose for which he saved them. They drift through life like the unredeemed people around them, living to accumulate more stuff. We love to accumulate stuff that they think that will make them happier before they die, knowing so well that they cannot cart it in a U-Haul to the grave. Nothing comes with you. But they never stop to consider what God wants them to do with the few precious years and the gifts that he gives them. Church, this is the crux of the message today as you look at this passage. So in our text, Jesus gives his disciple an extended allegory that reveals God's purposes in saving them. So he wants them to bear much fruit. And Jesus pictures himself as a true vine and the father as the vine dresser or the gardener and the disciples or the believers as the branches. So church, we all know that a man who plants a vineyard do it for a different reason than the one who plants a flower garden. I know some people who are very much in love with flower gardens, and I love to see the flowers, not the gardens. But we want flower gardens so that we can enjoy the beautiful flowers, but if you plant a vineyard and your purpose is to harvest a crop of grapes, your goal is that your vineyard would bear a lot of fruit. If, it, if the vineyard, all it produces is flowers and and leaves, your efforts in planting it have failed. Even though the flowers may look beautiful, 
but it has failed its purpose. So what the Lord is impressing upon his believers, that is you and I this morning, through this allegory in this text, is this. Am I on? Yeah, sorry. True followers of Jesus Christ must abide in him, the true vine, as branches. And there's a purpose for that. So that they would bear much fruit. That's the purpose. So we have been examining the Last Supper discourse in chapters 13 and 14. And this morning, as you open chapter 15, the Last Supper discourse still continues. The last verse in John chapter 14 that we looked at last week tells that Jesus and his disciples are about to leave the upper room. They're about to leave the upper room. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray the, his great high priestly prayer and will later be arrested by the mob led by Judas. Apparently, Jesus speaks the words which make the chapters 15 and 16 in route to, to the garden. So turn with me in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, please. And Jesus is pictured for us as the true vine. We are only going to look at the first six verses this morning. The first six verses this morning. We can imagine Jesus and his men going through the darkened streets of the city, then passing beyond the walls into the surrounding countryside. Now, during this time, it's mid-April, the grape vines would be beginning to blossom with the promise of a fresh harvest. Maybe I'm thinking that as the Lord was walking by and with his disciples, perhaps he reached out and took a vine in his hand. And he was teaching them is an object lesson to his men. His desire is to teach them about the most vital relationship they have in their lives, the one that is with Jesus and his Father. So we might ask ourselves, why did Jesus give them this teaching this morning? Why did he do that? The answer is so simple. Because they needed it. Because they needed it. These men have just been informed that Jesus is going away, but that his work is going to continue. During the time that Jesus was with the disciples, he was doing some work. And he had told them very clearly that you are going to continue this work that I have started. And we're looking at it, we looked at it in John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says this, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So if they were to carry on the work of the Lord, then they needed to know how to produce that kind of fruit in their lives. So church, this morning I'm aware that we are 2,000 years removed from that night but the work of the Lord, we can see, still marches on. And that's the reason we are even here in the sanctuary today. God is still working through the followers of Jesus Christ to accomplish His will and His work. 
in this world today. And that's the reason I went on the mission trip to Sri Lanka. There is a work that needs to be accomplished. So you ask, Pastor, how are we supposed to do the work of the Lord? And how can we produce that kind of fruit in our own lives? I'm sure that's a question that comes to your mind. And we are going to find the answers to the question in the, book, in the text today. So let's dive in to verse number one. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Depending on what translations you have, in some translations it might say, as I am the, he, my father is the gardener. The first observation we make in this, from this verse is that Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Church, we have been going through the gospel of John, and if you have observed it, in this gospel, we are witnessing this is the seventh I am statement that the Lord has made. Look at the chart that I'm going to show you just now. In John, starting in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Then John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Then John chapter 10, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now it comes to number 7, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Let's go back to verse number 1 now. And the first observation I said that I am the true vine, that's what Jesus is saying here. So in, a, in essence, what he's saying is that I alone possess life within myself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's simply what it means that all other vines that you might see are counterfeit. I am the life. I am the true source of everlasting, abundant life. That's what Jesus is saying here. The second observation we make here, Jesus says, my father, referring to God the Father, is the vine dresser. Isn't it? That's what he's saying here. He is the vine dresser. So the gardener of the true vine is the father, God the Father. So that we clearly understand the roles the Trinity is playing here. And he is the one who has the responsibility of caring for the vineyard. I'm sure if you have a garden, you are responsible to look after that. You are the gardener. So Jesus is saying that the Heavenly Father is the gardener. So Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the gardener. Then who are we? Who are we? Let's look at verse number two. And he says, even bra every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Let's break it down. In verse number two, he starts by saying, every branch in me. Can we say that together? Every branch in me. So the key phrase here, church, in verse number two is, in me. That's the key, key phrase here. So what does it really mean, you ask? This lets us know that we are dealing with genuine believers. We are not talking, Jesus is not talking about non-believers. He's talking about genuine believers. So if you are a committed believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, this message is for you. This message is for me. 
You know, church, there are those who may profess Christ, yet have never possessed him in their lives. It's easy to speak the word, but it's difficult to become a child of God. We see a lot of them even today, and, and you may need to ask yourself, am I one of them? I am filled with head knowledge. I have information in my head, but do I have a transformed heart? So he's not talking about them, about to, he, this message is not for everybody. It is only for the true believers. The true believers are the branches. So church, I want you to note something in this particular verse as we look at this. Let's break it down further. How the gardener is involved in everything that has got to do with the vine. Look at this. Every branch in me, referring to who? The believer, that does not bear fruit, he who, the gardener, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he who, the gardener, does what? He prunes, and why? That it may bear more fruit. Simple as that. So what is the Lord telling us today, church, as believers, he's talking to believers, it's a very convicting message. As believers, if we don't bear fruit, he takes away. And if we do bear fruit, he prunes. There's no way out. The Lord is doing something to everybody. So as we read this verse, this speaks of three specific duties of the gardener in regard to the vine. Number one, of course, I said that earlier, because he's a gardener, there is protection. The gardener provides tender watch, care, and protection for the vineyard. So aren't you glad that the Lord who created the universe is protecting every one of us? Because he is the gardener. Many times we might feel lonely. We are lost. We don't know where to go to. What we don't realize is his eyes are on us. Wow, powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. I praise the Lord for the sure knowledge that nothing passes the gaze of my heavenly Father. You know, there are two passages of scriptures. I, I, I really, it, it, it blessed my heart. Look at Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So that speaks of the omniscience of God. He sees everything. But look at the second one, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I know in my trip on this first day when I landed and I went to the site, I was so, so frustrated. Because what they said didn't happen. I mean, frustrated, frustrated is a very mild word. I was livid. I was angry. But then I thought, God, you see it. The fact that you know that the Lord sees you brings you comfort. I don't know what you are experiencing in your life today. Know that the gardener's eyes are on you. His eyes are on you. You are not alone. We also see that the role of the gardener is not just protection, but also purifying us. That's what you are seeing in this. 
The gardener uses three ways to purify us. You have to understand this. You will only understand it if you know this message is for the believers. Just get that clearly. The first thing that we look at in verse number two, let me go back to this. Every branch in me, that is believers, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So the first thing that we see is that he takes away. What does that really mean? Takes away simply means he's lift up or to raise higher. That is the gardener will take the unfruitful branch, if you have been unfruitful, because you are stuck in the dirt. He will lift you up and he'll give you a better chance to be productive. That's what it means. You are stuck. I'm sure many of us can attest to this. What it means is that when we get to a place in our Christian lives where we are unfruitful and barren, the Lord will have to reach into our lives, disturbing our slumber, and he will lift us up because we can't come out on our own. He will lift us in an effort to challenge us and to shock us to growth. There are times when the Lord can only accomplish this through chastisement. When we respond to this challenge, church, with repentance, it will help us to be fruitful for His glory. So let me ask you a question here personally. Has the Lord been challenging some areas of your life? If so, do not run from this challenge. You can run you can never hide from him. Why? Because he's an omniscient God. There are times we are so much drowned in the pit that on our own effort, we just cannot come out. We are so trapped. I'm not able to come out here. You know, a beautiful passage of scripture that we see is King David. He was stuck in the pit. Psalm 40, beautifully it says, I waited, I waited patiently for the Lord. Because David is in a pit and he cannot come out. He's crying out to the Lord. See what the Lord did. He inclined to me. What does that mean? Imagine this. There is David deep down in the pit. He's trying his best to come out. He can't. And the Lord inclined. That's what it means. To lift me up. Beautiful, isn't it? I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. Listen to this. Out of the merry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. That's bearing fruit. Because he could not come out of the trap. That's what it means when the Lord says he takes away. So instead of running from God, turn to him and please run to him. Because if the Lord is chastising you, the scripture says very clearly, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten them. So the first way of purifying us is he challenges us. He lifts us up and he shocks us out. The second thing that we see here, if you look at this passage... He prunes us. Look at the second one. Sorry. 
he prunes us. He prunes. That is, the gardener removes things from the branch that sap its vitality and strength. There are things in your life that really sucks everything out of you. And the things like sucker branches or useless buds or misdirected shoots or spots or discolored leaves, anything that consumes life but produces no fruit must go in your life. You know, uh, my, my wife, she, lo she loves gardening and, and come this season, she goes to the garden and she will, first thing I've seen her do is she's chop off some of those little plants and I weep for the plants. I said, what on earth are you doing? Why are you killing this? Because I don't understand plants. But soon I realized that she is a gardener. She knew what she was doing and she pruned so that it would grow well. And come, you know, June, July, boy, that place looks beautiful. And I can claim no credit for that. I could only appreciate this pruning when in time I saw the plants flourishing. So it is in the life of the believer. When we all, when we allow things into our lives that hinder our walk with the Lord, then we are in danger of a pruning. And the Lord prunes his children to remove what's dead or dying, or to remove what's infected or diseased, to remove things that are hindering your walk, to keep you focused and on the right track. Pruning by its very name sounds very painful. And it isn't always easy to cut the junk from our lives. But if we do not do, the Lord will surely will. Notice this, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that marked out for us. So church, it is like if you have a problem, I always say this, if there is a wound that you have in your finger, and with time if gangrene sets in, there is no other way but to chop it off. You chop it off so that you become healthy. But chopping is not fun. So you might ask, how, Pastor, how is this pruning done by the Lord, by the gardener? And the answer is found in verse number three. Look at this. You are already clean because of what? Of the word which I have spoken. So the cleansing takes place by the word. Interesting, isn't it? That's what the Lord said. So you might ask, you know, how can the word do the pruning in our lives? The first thing is that the word is like a mirror. Because I know that all of you, I can say that with absolute certainty, this morning when you got up and you all looked so beautiful and nice, why? Because you looked at the mirror. Oh, this hair has come off. Let me just push it up. No, no, the glass is not good. Let me bear it like this. We look at the mirror and it reflects ourselves. That's exactly what the word of God does to you. And that's what James says. Look at this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not, does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
We looked at this last time when we studied that when you have the word of God in you, you will not sin. Isn't it? We see that in the psalmist says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So not only the word of God is like a mirror, the word of God is like a knife. We, we love the mirror but not the knife. Look at what the word of God says. We see it in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So the question this morning is, has the Lord been speaking to you through his word? The gentle voice, you know, church, listen very carefully. The sweet, gentle voice within you, each time you hear a sermon or study the word of God, that is his voice calling you to repent. That's his voice. Have you been heeding the call from the Lord? Or are you resisting? So I would challenge you to allow the Lord to prune your life with his word. Because if that is not accomplished, I'll tell you this, he will take further and far more drastic measures. C.S. Lewis said it so beautifully. He said the Lord initially would whisper, you don't pay attention to that, he will speak. And you don't pay attention to that, he will shout. When the Lord shouts, nobody moves. Nobody moves. He knows he will and draw your attention. He did that to Jacob. When he had this encounter, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. To bring him to a realization. And believe it or not, the Lord did that to me 43 years ago when I was high in my thinking by allowing me to meet with a near fatal accident. That's why you don't see me in Olympics these days. God permitted that to draw my attention. So let me summarize what we have learned so far. We learn that the personalities, the son is the true vine, the father is the gardener, and we are the branches. And also we learn that the performance of the gardener is he protects us, he purifies us, and the way he purifies is challenges the branches, he lifts us up, and then he cleanses the branches by pruning, pruning us. Now we look at the purpose and the roles of the branches. What are we supposed to do? So as we, as we have seen in verse number 2, there is a distinct purpose. The vine has got one purpose to produce the fruit. Hear me out very carefully so that you understand what I'm saying. The vine has a responsibility to produce the fruit. The vine exists for that purpose alone. Without the fruit, the vine and all its efforts are wasted. So the true vine has a singular purpose, and that is to bear fruit to the glory of the Father. I'm sure that you walk into, walk into somebody's house, hear me out, please, and if you see the garden is so beautiful. I know I've gone to the deconning's house during June, July time, and the garden is beautiful. Who gets the glory? Would those plants get the glory? Absolutely not. 
is the gardener. We praise the gardener. Oh, she did a great job. That's exactly what the Lord is saying here. The branches won't get the glory. The vine won't get the glory. The fruits don't get the glory. But the gardener would get the glory. When the fruit is yielded in the vineyard, the vine, the branches, the soil, even the fruit does not get the credit. All the glory passes on to the gardener. And we see that in verse number 8 and we look at it next week. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. So I just want you to understand, the purpose is to bear fruit so that who gets the glory? The Father gets the glory. You don't get the glory. I don't get the glory. Jesus doesn't get the glory. The Father gets the glory. So here the reason the vine desires to produce fruit, so the vine dresser, the gardener, the Father might receive the honor. So everything the Lord Jesus did is to bring glory to the Father. Church, this ought to be the burning desire of every child of God this morning. That is so that our lives in every waking minute is to bring glory to the Father. That's what you see Paul writing to the saints in Corinth. He says, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There is something wrong in any life when there is no desire to bring glory to God. To God who loves us, who sustains us, and cares for us all along. So church, so we ask the question, how does the vine produce the fruit? Pastor, I hear all these things, but I want to get to the nut and bolt of it. What does that mean to bear fruit? There is a delegated purpose here, church, if you look at this. The vine itself does not bear fruit. Come along with me carefully. The vine's role is to produce fruit, but the vine itself does not bear fruit. It is the branches that bear fruit. It is the branches. The branches have the obligation of bearing fruit. The vine only supplies its life to the branches, and then they, then they take that life and use it to bear fruit. So in essence, though the branches bear fruit, the root cause is the vine who supplies its life. Without the supply, no branch can bear fruit. Now as we read through verses 4 and 5, we see that there is a specific requirement for the branch to bear fruit. The first, of course, we looked at earlier, the branch must be attached to the vine. We saw that already in verse number 2, if you are not in the vine, there is no way for you to share in the life of the vine. There's no way you're going to get life from the vine. So this is all about a vital union between the believer and the Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine. So church, we need to recognize our standing this morning, first of all. That's why I said this message is for the believer. If you are in the vine, then we were with him in, Cal in Calvary when he rose from the dead. If that is the case, then our old man has been crucified and we have been raised to walk a new life in Jesus Christ. But specifically, as we go into verse number 4, look at what verse number 4 says. The branch must abide in the vine. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself, of itself unless it abides in the vine. See, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, period. It cannot. It has to abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So that is, we must maintain a close fellowship and a relationship with the vine, and if he is to live through us to produce his fruit in our lives. So the, this is only accomplished by abiding in him. So how does one abide in Christ? Through prayer, studying the word, denying yourself, drawing closer to God. The closer we abide to the vine, the more his life can flow through us to produce the fruit he desires. We got to be living like kingdom people in this world, having that relationship with him. We should be able to emit the fragrance of Jesus. We should be able to say, like the famous uh, band that they wear, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That is your abiding with him. So let me ask you a personal question, church. How would you describe your life this morning? Are you bearing much fruit for the Lord? As we read verse number 5, we come to a very soothing assurance here. Come along with me, please. Verse number 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, the Lord says. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It's a very soothing passage because all I have to do here, church, to bear fruit is to abide in Him. Abide in Him. But He causes it. He makes it come through from you, through you. So if you examine this passage, you will see that the fruit bearing is a passive activity on the part of the branch. What do you take from this? If the branch will simply abide in the vine, then the vine will most certainly produce its fruit. I don't know about you, church. This is a very liberating truth for me when I read this. I am not required to do anything. All I am expected to do is to abide in him. It is the vine's responsibility to produce his fruit in and through my life. That certainly frees you from having, to, having a panic attack. Oh my goodness, what should I do for the Lord? Abide in Him. Abide in Him. If we will yield, He will live through our lives. Now comes the big question. Pastor, when you speak about fruit, what do you mean by that? What will be produced in our lives when we yield? How do we know that we are really producing fruit? In a tangible way, how do we know that? It's a great question, church. And as we study the scriptures, we'll find that there are at least three basic fruits that the Lord wants us to bear. And I'm going to show that to you from through the scriptures. Number one, look at this passage, is being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory of God. What does that mean? We are talking to people who have been saved. This is talking about sanctification. You are being made new every day. You are sinning less and less with each passing day. 
that can only happen when you abide in him. That is the fruits of righteousness. That is the fruit that you bear. You are made new with each passing day. So if you genuinely abide in him, you are sanctified with each passing day. Are you being sanctified with each passing day? Or are you stuck in a sin that you're not able to come out? You know what the gardener will do? He can lift you up. You know what the gardener can do? He can prune you. He can break it. He wants you to abide in. It's the first fruit that we see. The second fruit that we see here is the fruit of the Spirit. If you are truly abiding in Him, you will demonstrate or you will display the fruit, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Understand that it is not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Singular. All these characteristics must be seen in you. With each passing day, it will be seen in a progressively increasing measure. That's what it means, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. It only happens when you abide in Him. Thirdly, the, if you really abide in Him, look at this. Apostle Paul writes to the saints in Rome, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, anyway, that I might have some fruit among you. Meaning what? There will be some souls one for Christ. So if you are abiding in him, you are not only being sanctified, not only you are demonstrating or, or showing the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, but you are in the employment of winning souls for Christ. You are. You will want to, want to win souls for him. You will certainly be engaged in the Great Commission, whether it is local or overseas. The most comforting observations in this passage is that we are only called to abide in Him. He produces the fruit in and through us. Therefore, we do not need to be anxious about the outcome of the Spirit. We just have to comply. You know, we don't have to worry about the quality of the fruit. This is not the branch's responsibility. When we are abiding in the vine, he's producing his life in us. We can be rest assured that the fruit of, that is produced is honoring the Lord. It's a liberating truth. And not only the quality of the fruit, you don't have to worry about the quantity of the fruit. You don't have to worry that I'm not able to reach out to 10 people and bring them to Christ. Look at Jeremiah. What is he called as? A weeping prophet. Why is he called as a weeping prophet? Not a single convert for 40 years. But was he loved by God? Absolutely yes. Was he a chosen vessel? Absolutely yes. That is why the Spirit has allowed him to write two books in the Bible. He is not at all a failure, but he was abiding in God. You know, the best thing that for us to understand when it comes to this topic is when the Lord sent two by two in Samaria to go and minister to the people. 
And I just want you to picture this with me. The Lord Jesus is coming and he's, he's going to go into Samaria. He said, okay, Keith, I want you to go with, um, who, who do you like to go with? Okay, he wants to go with Anthony. And, and we'll pick two by twos and we send them to Samaria. And it is a hostile nation. Keith is coming running back because he went, he prayed. You know what happened? The demons bow down. He's so excited. I can't drive demons away by saying that you become a demon. He's so excited and enthusiastic, but he came running to the Lord Jesus and says, even the demons bow down. I just want you to understand this. The Lord is not, not looking for quality or quantity. He's looking to see that we are, whether we are abiding in him. Look at what the Lord said to them. Nevertheless, wow. In other words, just stop, man, what you're saying. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What does that mean, church? That you are abiding in me. That's all is needed. Do not worry about the results. So it is clear from these verses that God anticipates a steady progression. Now, just because we are not worried about the results, that we can live the way that we want, we have an obligation for a continuous sanctification process be involved in that. We, are, we have an obligation to emit or demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. We have an obligation to be faithful in reaching out to others with Christ. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But let's not worry about the results. You know, I've been going for 16 years to Sri Lanka for, me, for the mission's work. When people come and ask me how many converts are there, I give them only one response. It's a wrong question to ask. Can I convert people? Absolutely not. Am I carrying salvation in my pockets and I want to distribute it on the streets? Absolutely not. Then Jeremiah must be a real failure. Isn't it? What am I called to do? Being faithful in planting the seeds. What did Paul say? I plant the seeds. And Apollo, somebody else, will water it. And then he says what? God will make it grow. Paul can't make it grow. You and I can't make it grow. We are called to be faithful, abiding in him, to plant the seeds. And again, in, in, as you look at the, these two verses, very interesting. He says, every branch that does not bear fruit, you can say from a, from a, from a no fruit to a fruit to more fruit and much fruit. That's a progression. That's what you're seeing in these two verses. That's the faithfulness. When we abide in him. So that brings me to the last verse for the day. Verse number six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. What do you learn from this church? Not every branch abides in the vine as it should. I know there are believers. Call themselves believers. Maybe they are genuine believers. They are not abiding in the vine as they should. It is still attached, but it has ceased 
to draw life from the vine's fullness. As a result, it is fruitless and withered. When this happens, there will be three certain results. I hope that we are not falling into one of these categories. Look at this passage again. It says, number one that will happen to you, sorry, I'll go back here, is that you are cast out. Of course, we cannot lose our relationship. We cannot lose our salvation. Talking to the believers. The branch still possesses the same nature as the vine because of the fact that you are a child of God. But it is no longer attached in the sense of a life-drawing fellowship. You don't live like a kingdom person. That's the first thing that you see. And the second thing that you see is you are withered, possessing no life, your loss of vitality. This describes many Christians this morning. There is weakness where there used to be power. There is emptiness where there used to be fullness. Some of you may be feeling that way this morning. I used to be boom for the Lord. Now I'm, I can't. It means you're withered. My counsel for you to come back and renew that long fellowship. Once again, start to draw that life-giving juice from the vine and begin again to produce fruit for him. Number three, as you look at this, is the they are burnt. Loss of reward. There might come a day that you may be doing a lot of work for the Lord and you might go and stand in front of him expecting to receive the crown of righteousness. Whatever the crown it may be. And you're will be, you will be thoroughly disappointed. See, Paul writes to the saints in Corinth, and this is what he says. Sorry. Oh, I missed that scripture. So, bear with me. I'm going to read that for you. If anyone's work which, I, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he will himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You will just barely make it. Many think they'll be content just to get to heaven. But there should be a desire to have rewards to lay at his feet. How many of you would like to see when you appear in the presence of the Lord for him to look at you and say, well done. Put your hands up and show me, please. Some of you don't like to see that. That's okay. That should be our desire. Well done. You know, growing up, I have told you many times, you, you might get bored about this. I love my dad so dearly. He's my best friend. He was my best friend. For me, when he tells me, well done, it meant a world to me. When he hugs me and says, son, I'm proud of you, it meant a world to me. Church, he was only a merely a heavenly, uh, earthly father. You may not understand the gravity of this church. You may not understand the weight of this acknowledgement when you come in the presence of the, of the Lord. Imagine God of the universe, the one who created you, one who put you together in your mother's womb, the one who brought you into this world. And as you go and stand in front, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a glorious day that will be. That should be our goal. That should be our goal. So we looked at two things here. The basic fruits, sanctification, spirituality, the fruit of the Spirit and soul winning, and the consequences of not abiding is the loss of fellowship, 
loss of vitality and loss of rewards. So three questions I want to ask you as I close. Number one, are you in the vine? Are you in the vine? Have you ever been saved and grafted into Jesus? Is Jesus the personal Lord and Savior? Second question, if he, if he is your personal Lord and Savior, are you abiding in the vine? Are you abiding in the vine? Are you drawing your strength from him so that he is able to produce its fruit through your life? Then the third question is that are you bearing his fruit today? Are you bearing your fruit today? Three areas in your sanctification, in your spirituality, or in the soul winning processes. Where do you stand with Jesus today? If God has revealed the areas in your life that need to be pruned back, deal with that today. I challenge you to come to Jesus and let him take care of your need. If you have never been saved, please let this day not pass by. Come to him. Shall we pray? Let the worship team come. Can you all stand please? God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We pray in Jesus' name as we have been exhorted this morning. Master, that we know that we are called to abide in you. If there is any amongst us who have not yet given his or her life to you, may this be the day of God. Father, those of us who have given our life to you, help us to abide in you. Be with you. Abide, abide in you, Master so that the fruits will be evident in our lives. May we be sanctified with each passing day. May we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. May we be engaged in the soul winning, the missional call that you made as the last, the Great Commission. So help us, O God. You know every one of us. And the cry of our heart is, we all acknowledge, Master, that there will come a day that we will say, We'll say bye to this world and we'll have to enter into the presence of God. And may it be our desire that as you see us, you look at us and tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.